Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm excited to get to share the word of the Lord with you this morning. And I want to speak out of Matthew 18, uh, verses 21 to 35. And so why don't I read those uh, together? And you can turn there if you want to. Other than that, you can listen to the sound of my voice. Um, and it starts in verse 21, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I will forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant, the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Sounds familiar. And he refused and went, with, and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his, mercy, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for your word. Father, I ask that you would use this time to open our hearts uh, and speak to us, God. If there's anything you want to say to us, if there's anything you want to do, I pray that you would have the authority. You would do what you want to do. God, would you help me to speak your words and your words only, your truth, Lord Jesus, for your glory and your honor. May we be conformed into your image and display who you are as we live out our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, I have... A healthy fear of bears. Does anyone else have a healthy fear of bears? I think it's pretty normal, right? Like, I see fingers pointing. I have a really healthy fear of bears. And about 10 years ago, I don't know if you guys know Andrew Micklefield. Andrew Micklefield was a team-leading pastor here. And uh, he decided that we should have a praise and worship ministry meeting and talk about what we do up here on the stage. And I said, that was a great idea. We should do that. And he said, we should do that while hiking in the white shell. And I was like, well, we have offices here at the building we can meet in. We've got comfy leather couches in the uh, nursery, which we often use for meeting space. But no, he figured this, this was a good idea. We should get out and get some fresh air. And so he summoned Tony, my good friend, Tony Clark, and uh, Andrew McDonald, if you know him, he goes here. And the four of us embarked in the car to go to Whiteshell. Now, I'm the kind of person, I don't know if you do this, but I, my parents live in BC, so when I travel there, or just like recently I traveled to Thunder Bay for this youth conference, I pray that I will get to see bears, like from the safety of my car. It's like, Lord, help us see your glorious creation in, its, in the wild, you know? And never do I see bears, ever. 
I never have seen it. I prayed. Dave's prayed for me. We, you know, I just, I'd love to see bears because it's, it's safe. But this day, I did not pray that. And Tony knew I was afraid of bears. And Andrew knew. And they were kind of ribbing me. And I should have known, like, about a mile away from the, the, where the trail started, what do we see in the ditch? A bear. A bear. I, Lord, I wasn't praying. I wasn't asking you. Is this how it works? You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, but anyways, there's a bear and the guys are like, oh, Greg, we're going hiking. How you feel? And I was like, you know how I feel. Like, I'm losing all the moisture in my body out of my hands as we speak. And so we get to the trail. I, I was really fearful. And so the stuff that we talked about, I don't really know what we talked about because I was too busy surveying my surroundings and seeing any dark thing, well, that's a bear. No, it's not a bear. That's a tree, whatever. And so we, it was a five-mile hike total, two and a half miles out. We stop and we swim, and, and uh, we had a good time. And then it was time to hike back. And so we were going to finish the trail. And about, I don't know, a couple minutes into this trail, Andrew Mick, Andrew McOfield, he's like, Greg, just wait, wait for me. I've got to tie my shoes. So he bends down, and Tony and Andrew are just tootling along the trail. And, and I start ser- surveying again. I'm looking and I see this black circle object, you know, about 20 feet to my left, whatever. And I was like, oh, it's just a tree. I thought a tree had fallen down. It was just the back of the stump. And so I look away and I look, no, you know what? Actually, and I'm looking and Andrew's below me here. I'm looking and all of a sudden this thing is like, and it didn't really make a sound, but to me it did this. And it looked me in the eye and I was like, there's a there's a bear right there. He looks up. Andrew McDonald comes bounding down the trail. He's huge, right? He's like, hey, Greg, there's a bear right over there. I'm like, shh, it doesn't over here. And Tony and I, I mean, we, I don't think we've ever walked 2.5 miles faster than we did. Like, it was like, talk's over, we're gone. Andrew Mick had the bear spray, so he was, he was fine. But I was chicken, and I'm not afraid to admit it. But I had this healthy fear of bears start years before this because i was plagued by dreams of bears eating people i knew true story um I, this is kind of gruesome but i i know what it looks like for tony to get eaten by a bear i know what it looks like for darian to get eaten by a bear i know what it looks like for at the time my very well still at the time my still close brother and friend dave to get eaten by a bear and I would have dreams about bears chasing me, and I remember gouging their eyes out as they chased me at bladders, and, and they would, this polar bear would come, and it, that one dream, he would bring my friends, and they would, he would eat them right in front of me. And, and it's kind of funny, but it's not funny. Um, I, had, I had a major fear of bears, and I was being plagued. And so I was up at camp one week leading worship up at Rock Lake, and uh, it was going really good. And this speaker spoke the one night on dreams. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting and interpreting dreams. And I was, I've always thought like, yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and he, he did a really good job, the sermon. I, and I felt compelled to go talk to him at the end of the service. So I went up to him. and I'd never met this person in my life. I had never seen him before. Never even spoken to him. And I said, I explained what I just did explain to you and how I had these plaguing dreams. And he looked at me and he says, can I ask you a question? And I said, yeah, sure. He's like, what's your relationship with your father like? And it stopped me dead in my tracks. Because when I was five, I watched my father walk out the front door. And along with my relationship, and along with seeing the pain, and experiencing the pain of having to walk through that, 
with my mom and on and on. I'm sure there's many of you that can relate to that in this room. Um, but I didn't, hadn't forgiven my dad. I didn't have relationship, real relationship with my dad. And uh, so he said, let's, let's, let's try something. And I was like, okay. And so he got this chair and let's say Dave was him. He sits it this way and he gets me to sit on a chair this way. So, you know, opposite wise. And he's like, I want you to just hug me. Like, just put your arm around me. So he did this. I did this to him. He did it to me. And I was honestly really awkward. Like, I was like, I don't know you from a hole in the ground. And I don't know if I really want to put my arm around you. But uh, for, by the grace of God, I did. And I felt no emotion. He said, okay, now in my massive awkwardness, he says, now I want you to just start. I'm going to be your dad. I'll be your dad. I'm going to stand in the gap for your dad. And I want you to just tell me everything that you ever wanted to say to me. Your dad. And I was like, okay, this is really awkward. Because I felt no emotion. I felt zero emotion other than embarrassment and awkwardness. And as the first words, as I said, why did you leave? Simple starting place. I started to weep. And I started to express, like something came out of my innermost being that ended up being quite glorious. And can I just testify that it led to me forgiving my dad, saying absolutely forgiveness in a 100% possible way. And the bear dreams stopped like this, instantly. And then we were worshiping the second service. I just, I just saw the blood drop. I just saw the chains broken. And that's what it was like for me. It was like, it was gone. And the Lord orchestrated that my dad happened to be coming to Steinbach about a week or two later. And we sat there in Smitty's and I confessed my forgiveness for him and how much I loved him and how I was so tired of talking about the weather. I don't care about the weather. I want your heart. And I stood up and I just poked him in the heart. And I said, I want your heart. I don't want to know about your weather in BC anymore. And God set us free. And me and my dad's relationship are just doing this now. You know? And actually, he's, he's attending community groups. He's attending church. I mean, there is... I think there is definitely change that broke in him, and we might touch base with that a little bit later. But this morning I want to talk about forgiveness. As we've read about it, and I just talked about it, it's kind of obvious. I want to talk about forgiveness. And Matthew talks about, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is sharing in chapter 18, and it's kind of the fourth major section of Matthew, and it's about relationships in the kingdom of God. And uh, he starts, Jesus starts talking about humility. He talks about welcoming. Uh, he talks about being wholehearted, wholehearted before the king or before the Lord. Um, he talks about pastoral care and the parable of the lost sheep and, and being open with one another. And he ends that chapter with uh, forgiveness and king and the unforgiving, service, unforgiving servant. And the big idea this morning, the big idea that I want to present to you this morning is that forgiveness is part of kingdom culture. It's part of kingdom culture. To be living in the kingdom of God means that we are, you are a forgiving person. It's, it's just part of your DNA. It's part of your everyday DNA. It's not something that you can think about doing. It's part of the culture. So I want to break this morning into two sections. I want to talk a little bit about culture, and then I want to talk about two central themes of forgiveness in our text this morning. But number one, the kingdom culture of forgiveness. Culture 
is characteristics or features of everyday existence shared by people in a place or a time. That's how you can, you can define culture, right? Culture uh, shared by people in a place or time, characteristics of everyday existence. And number one, I want to say that our salvation, or you actually sitting here, if you are born again, believer in Jesus Christ, you became a new creation through forgiveness. It was part of the conception process that actually made you a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. Amen? And when you're born, when you think of being born somewhere, depending on where you're born, you might sound a certain way, like my good friend Will Horner from Gateway. He was born in the UK, and he talks in an English accent, and I'm not going to try to duplicate that because that'll just be silly. And, uh, but if, depending on who your parents are, if you're born to Japanese parents, you will look Japanese. You will look a certain way based on your parents. You will sound a certain way based on where you're born. And if you're born in a certain country, even, you'll have different cultural things like Canada. Everyone here loves hockey and bacon, right? That's just part of being born in Canada. It's cultural. So depending on where you're born reflects part of your character and what you share. And I want to say that our salvation was born out of forgiveness. When you, you were created in the image of God, you became a new creation, you were conceived by forgiveness. And it's, it's part of the culture that is in you and how you've been wired to look, how you've been wired to sound, how you've been wired to act. It's in you. It's in you. And this characteristic, this thing of forgiveness as a kingdom culture, isn't just a one-time thing. And praise Jesus. I mean, we sang about it this morning. We've talked about it this morning. Christ's death on the cross and his debt that he paid for us, forgiving us. Bam! It's, but it's not just a one-time thing. We don't get this opportunity to go, ah, oh, I was just forgiven now. And that's good. I can just walk in that. No, there is a, there's a continuation. You know, when you see things in culture, like in Steinbach, we're known for a couple of things, right? Like, one of the things we're known for is having a crazy amount of churches. Amen? Like it's part of the culture. We build churches. We are the Bible Belt of southern Manitoba and probably even further. We do a good job. There's another one going up in the industrial park. Another church. So I think we're up to about 47 or I'm not sure. But it's part of our heritage. You just see that's just something you see consistently happening. It's like the tractors in the parade on Pioneer Day, right? It's consistent. It's like tractor, and then there's another tractor, and then there's another tractor. But we love it. We keep going, right? I mean, it keeps getting bigger. But forgiveness, it's like that. It's like supposed to be like that in the kingdom of God. Something that just keeps happening. It's a characteristic that becomes every, part of everyday existence. And we see Peter at this part of this, in the, sorry, at the start of this uh, parable this section of chapter 18, it says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many, seven times? Now, Jewish culture, in Jewish culture, you forgave three times. Fourth time, you're done. Three times. So Peter coming up to Jesus at this time actually is thinking himself pretty special. Right? He's like, oh, I know. What's, this is good. I'm going to double it and add one. Hey, Jesus. So, like, how many times do I forgive him? Like, seven times? It's probably expecting a pretty amazing response, right? It's like Jesus to go, yeah, high five, Peter. You, you know it, right? It's like, man, you're versed in the gospel. Good job. No, Jesus' response isn't like that. Jesus says, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times, or it can be translated 70 times seven times, which you do the math is 40 490 times but that's not what jesus is saying even jesus is saying no peter you don't understand 
This is part of the culture. This is part of how you were born. This is part of who I made you to be. It's part of your DNA is that forgiving is actually an, it's an everyday thing. And it's a multiple times a day thing. And it's past the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the 20th and the 25th time. Our culture as Christians, a kingdom culture means that forgiveness is something that happens. It happens. It happens. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be known for how we forgive. We should be known. Wow, that guy forgives. He seems like a very forgiving person. That guy must know Jesus. Why? Because number three, it was demonstrated by him. It was demonstrated by him. He didn't just tell us this. He didn't just tell Peter seven times. No, he's like, I'm going to show you actually what it means to forgive. And we look in culture these days. Don't, we look to leaders to set the tone in culture. We have prime ministers. We have presidents. We have mayors. We even make sports teams. And what do we do? We put a C on the jersey. Captain, look to him. He sets the tone. In the locker room, he sets the culture. We have team leading pastors. Rob, we look to Rob. I look to Rob. I don't know if you guys look to Rob. Especially when things are bad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Rob, lead us. Come on. No, I'm just kidding. Things are good. I, I make jokes, but I praise the Lord for Rob. And we look to husbands in the home. Right? And then you're like, as a husband, I go, Michelle, why are our kids always leaving the lights on or the toilet seat up? Well, actually, honey, you leave the toilet seat up all the time. Oh. You know, one day I'm praying they, um, that I'm going to ask my Lord, man, uh, my Lord, my wife, I'm going to ask her, Lord, uh, Michelle, it's like, our kids forgive all the time. Well, that's because you forgive all the time, honey. Ah, yes, yes, yes. But in all seriousness, Jesus says, therefore, after he tells Peter 70, 77 times, he says, therefore, the kingdom of God can be compared to a king. And I think that's really purposeful, can compare to a king, because he, the one and only true king of kings, set the tone when it came to modeling what forgiveness looks like. And it was his perfect plan. This wasn't a secondary plan. This was the way it was designed right from the beginning that God the Father would send his son to come down. God would send his son Jesus who was God, who reigned with him in eternity and perfection, would send him in in the form of a baby to walk out this life amongst sinners being scorned and shamed and die on the cross to forgive us of our sins. Modeled by the King of Kings. Church, forgiveness is a kingdom culture. It's a kingdom culture. And it's wonderful. But let's move on. Get to verse 24. You know, this is one of those parables where, you know, you can get kind of emotionally charged up, right? And then emotionally let down all at the same time, right? So you start reading about this king who goes to settle accounts, and the servant comes up and he says, who owes 10,000 talents, and you're like, wow, that must be a lot. 10,000 of anything is a lot. And what? He pleads for mercy and the king forgives him? Like, that's, that's amazing, man. That guy must be on cloud nine. And then he turns around immediately and he goes and he doesn't forgive someone who 
must have owed a lot less. And you're like, Doc, I should be... Yes, I'm glad he's back in jail. Why don't you put his shackles extra tight and feed him mushrooms every day? That's what he deserves. Just give it to him. Good. Mushrooms are gross, just in case you don't know. That's prison food. Amen? And it's that place down there food, too. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to get on my soapbox now. Where was I? (laughs) But this is one of those things, it's kind of like this, but it's more actually like, which, and and it's like David and Nathan, right? When David... He's talking to Nathan, Nathan, and Prophet Nathan comes up to him and says, you know, here's this, this thing, Nathan, here's the deal. It's like there's this traveler that comes along, and there's this rich man and this poor man. The rich man has herds aplenty, and he's filthy rich. But then there's this poor man who has one little lamb, and he raised it and says he hand-fed it with his children. That's all he's got, this one little lamb. And this traveler comes through, and the rich man wants to throw him a feast, and then he says, well, I'm not... I mean, he has access to... Who knows how many sheep? And he said, I don't want to use my sheep. I'm going to use this little lamb. Let's go to this poor man. I'm going to take his little sheep from him. And what does David do as Nathan's telling him that story? Nathan's like, or David's like, it says his anger was kindled within him. And it's that same response. Oh, that guy should pay. Throw that guy in jail. And when I read this parable, this is, it's that same response of Nathan going, the prophet Nathan going, actually, David, in your anger, like, this is actually you. This is actually you. So this, this parable that we're getting into here about the, uh, the unforgiven, other sorry, the unforgiving servant has two central themes and it's two stories I feel like we can own as our own. And number one is that forgiveness in the kingdom is immeasurably, is immeasurably great. Amen? This is your story of the servant being set free from his debt his 10,000 debt, his 10,000 talent debt, it's our story. I mean, I can't, you know, I, I really just have to let this parable play out. Like, you really would do a disservice by trying to read too much into it because it's pretty clear, isn't it? It's pretty clear. 10,000 talents, that's a lot of money. A, we owed an immeasurably great debt due to our sin. We get to relate to this unforgiving servant the fact that 10,000 talents is huge. One talent, just to do a little math here, one talent was equaled to 20 years wages. One talent, 20 years wages. So let's say that this laborer owns, uh, earns $15 an hour and he works 40 hours a week, 80-hour paychecks. In, with one talent, 20 years wages, this gentleman would earn $624,000. For just one talent, but we know he owes how many talents? 10,000 talents, do the math, that's $6.2 billion that he owes to the king. $6.2 billion. That's a massive debt. When we think of this being our story, can I suggest that we need to own this as our debt? Do we, do we undervalue our sin? I feel like I tend to undervalue my sin. I don't see my sin in the light of what it really was. Or the what it really is. I think Jesus is saying here, you know what? You owed an immeasurably great debt. 
$6.2 billion. And you know what? As we take that sin and we think of it as $6.2 billion, as our sin gets bigger in our own eyes, as sin against the Father, I love what David says in Psalm 51, my sin is ever against who? You. There's this ownership of his sin and how big it is and who it's against. And as we see our sin as this big, what happens to the cross? Knowing that your debt was completely paid. If your sin is this big, well then the cross gets so much bigger, doesn't it? The grace of God gets so much bigger. But when we see our sin as this, it's like Jesus died on the cross. Why did he have to do that? It's just, just a small debt. But can I suggest, can I encourage you to see your, son, see your sin how Christ would see your sin? At the measure he would have to go to forgive and pay that massive debt. And as we do that, then that means that we have an immeasurably great inability to repay our debt. Doesn't it? As our sin gets bigger, we're like, it just puts the proper focus on the fact that, Jesus, I could never repay that debt. The servant comes and he says, he pleads with him, please forgive me my debt, but really, can he pay the debt? What does the servant say? Well, your mother, your father, your family, and everything you own, it costs him everything, and that's nothing. That's not going to touch the debt. And this is a perspective we need to have that our debt costs us our life. It, it would cost us our life. It would cost us our life. And it did cost a life. But therefore, by the grace of God, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a free gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. We need to see our sin in the light of what it really is, as big as it is. Because if it's small, then we have a bigger tendency to think we can work that off, don't we? Like if I just owe 150 bucks, I'm like, Dave, hey, I'll just come mow your lawn, you know, what, 15 times, 10 bucks a time? Is that going to be good? And then I'm done. But as soon as it's 6.2 billion, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can, how could I ever repay that debt? And it puts it into proper perspective that it's not by works that we're saved. It's by the grace of God that we're saved. And that's the third point. The grace of God is immeasurably great. His mercy and his patience is immeasurably great. We see that as the king says he went to settle the debt. He went to settle. That tells me that there was this period where he may have been asking. He was giving him time. There was definitely great... Like how long does it take to get $6.2 billion worth of debt or 10,000 talents? Like that's my question is what did this guy do? Like... Every week, I need a new camel? Or like, I don't, I don't know. Like, what do you spend your money on? Like, how do, you, how do you owe that much money? But the fact that he could acquire that much debt tells me there must have been mercy and grace from the king to allow it to get that big. There had to be. And you can look to Paul, and Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.16, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his Perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul, who was Saul, who was his sole life mission was to rid the territory, the area, the world of Christians by the grace and mercy of God. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. When the enemy comes and reminds you of your sins, tell him to go take a trip out east to find them. And then when he comes back and says he couldn't find them, you go, oh yeah, sorry, go west. 
young man. <laughs> Sorry. I shouldn't say certain things. But if God is love and love is patient, then we know we serve a patient God who's full of rich, full of mercy, rich in love, slow to anger. This is our story. This servant who gets forgiven the $6.2 billion debt, this is our story. And we know that all he needed to do, what did he do to get forgiven this debt? Did he have to pay it off? No. Did he go to prison? No. As Rob said yesterday, he gets on his knee. He turned, uh, not yesterday, last Sunday, there was this ex- expectation and asking for something that God said, I will give you if you just ask. You just ask. And it says he fell down and he pleaded, please have mercy on me. I will repay everything. And it says because of, let me read it for you. And imploring him, he fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay everything. And out of pity from the master, the servant released him and forgave him his, all his debt. Church, this is your story. Your debt has been paid. I know you know this. and I'm reminding you again. This is the great exchange. It's the greatest exchange in the history of mankind and ever will be. That God the Father would send his son to take away a debt that you could never repay. And not only, not only take that debt from you, and you can walk out of there debt free. I don't know if you've ever made the last payment debt free. It feels mighty awesome. You can walk out of there debt free. And then he says, you know what? The wrath that you were going to take, my son Jesus is going to take it on the cross. And it's going to be horribly painful and hor- it just horrible in every way. And not only am I going to take the wrath of God, forgive all your sins, but I'm going to give you myself. Has your banker ever done that for you? Oh, your debt's paid. Oh, here's a billion dollars for you. You did such a good job. Never. Has anyone ever done that for you? Let me just, like at the most, we just take things off of people's hands. But do we ever get back in return? It's a great exchange. This is our story. And it should affect the culture of who we are as believers. And that's why I preached it this morning. And that's why I remind it again. Because it's that same picture that Rob gave last week of the bow and arrow. I love that picture and it hasn't left my mind. I don't know about you. But as I think about what Christ did for me on the cross, as I think of, that's $6 billion that Christ forgave me? The arrows of forgiveness that I've been required to shoot only get straighter and stronger and fly with more accuracy as I know what Christ did for me, as I believe what Christ did for me, as I see it as he sees it. That string just comes back and that arrow flies and will pierce the hearts of those around you and pierce your own heart and actually give you the ability to forgive. But when you see it as nothing, when you... Not that we see it as nothing, but when we take it for granted, and we don't see it as $6.2 billion, what are you doing? It's like, bing, and the arrow just... <laughs> or you don't even pick up the arrow, bow and arrow. It just doesn't fly. So that's the heart of why I do this. I'm just preaching the gospel, right? This is just the gospel. You've heard it before. I'm just saying, hey, hey, remember, it's part of the culture. It's part of the culture. It's part of who we are. You were conceived by it. You were called to do it every day. And it was modeled to you by the king of kings. But unfortunately, the parable doesn't end there. And we get to take part in another part of this story. It's that part of the story where Nathan goes, that's the you, 
That's you, Greg. And we do it, don't we? You would think, I would think, that the servant who was forgiven the massive debt of 10,000 talents would be the champion forgiver. Does that not make sense? Like, he would be like, man, pin a rose on his nose. He would be the guy. Like, when you needed an illustration for being forgiven or forgiving others, you would think to go to this guy. But we read further on that he finds a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. A hundred denarius, or a denarius is like a penny. What was, what was an agricultural worker's typically, uh, was typically paid for one day's labor. One denarii. So if we do the same math, we keep things equal to the first servant. This servant owed at $15 an hour, eight hours a day. He, that would be $120 a day. He owed a hundred and, sorry, he owed a hundred of those. So he owed this servant who had just been forgiven 6.2 billion. He owed him 12,000. Dollars. 6.2, 12,000. $12, but can I just, just pause there for one second and say that $12,000 isn't just a small amount of money. People's sins against us, they hurt. They carry weight. And so I don't, sitting, I'm not, I'm not up here preaching to you that this should just be like, you know, stop hurting. You shouldn't hurt at all. It's like a penny. Sleep it under the couch. It's not what I'm saying. A hundred denarii, it's, it's, you feel it. There's a weight to it. But this servant didn't react like the king reacted. He acted a whole lot opposite in the fact that there was no mercy, there was no grace. He actually seized him. He actually choked him. Right? And then he literally, it says, he took him. He didn't just give him to someone to take him to jail. He took him and threw him in prison. There was no gracious provision or release of debt. And it was like he didn't understand the, how much he was forgiven. Would you agree? It, the way he acted, it didn't connect. And, and I just this question for us this morning is, when we think of our own sin in comparison to others, what does that look like? I don't know about you, but I have a tendency when I sin, and I, my buddy's Rob, I confess a bunch of stuff to him on a regular basis, but I have this tendency to see my sin as like, uh, okay, I just, it, all I did was this. It was just no big deal. No big deal. But on the other hand, when someone else does the exact same thing, I'm like, oh my my word. Do you understand what you did? Do you understand how much that hurts the Father's heart? Do you understand how much that hurts me? How do we value, do we value our sin the same way as we value other sins against us? What does that look like? Can I just suggest that, you know, we talked, a, a few minutes ago I talked about when we see our sin in the light of what it really is, the cross becomes really big. So when I see myself um, my sin against God is huge and needing of a big debt payment. The cross covers that and it becomes that big. But there's something else that happens when you view your sin as you should view it. When you view your sin as large against an almighty, perfect, holy God, the sins of others actually shrink. Don't they? They get smaller. Because the truth is, is that you will never be asked to forgive 
more than you have been forgiven. You'll never be asked to forgive more than you have been forgiven. I owed 10,000 talents. If Dave sins against me, it's like 100 denarius. It hurts, but it is nothing in comparison to what Christ paid for me. And if I know how much Christ paid for me, it just, it helps me go, man, you know, Christ did for me is ridiculously huge. I forgive you, brother. That's nothing in the kingdom of God. That's nothing. But when I see my sin as small, that just elevates other sins against me. Just like, that's nothing for me. That, I just want to get you. I'm going to choke you, I'm going to squeeze you, and you need to be in prison. It plays out, right? That's how it plays out. Is that our story this morning? Is that our story? See, it wasn't, it wasn't a works issue that got this unforgiving servant in trouble. Right? Because we know how this plays out. What happened? He didn't forgive him the hundred denarii. People hear about it. They go tell the king. The king comes. What? Did you not understand what I paid? The debt I paid for you? Did you not understand that? And now you're going to do this? And what did he lose? He lost his freedom. He had to pay the debt. And he had to suffer the consequences. All three things. Because he didn't reciprocate the the forgiveness that was so graciously shown to him. It wasn't a works thing that got... So don't hear me talk about works. Forgiveness isn't about works. The power of being able to forgiveness is, forgive isn't about works. It's not like the servant got really lazy. Oh, wow, I got no $6.2 billion debt anymore. Well, I'm going to take a whole bunch of time off. Well, I'm going to go uh, sit down and watch some YouTube videos all day. And I'm going to eat some tapioca pudding, because that's my favorite dessert, by the way. Fish eyes or eggs, whatever you want to call them. That's not what happened here. Can I just say that the issue was a heart issue? The issue that landed him outside of the kingdom of God, as it says, those big words that Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you who does not forgive your brother from your heart. This is not a works issue. This is a heart issue. The servant clearly did not understand or love the king for the great mercy and grace that he had given him. Did he? There's no way he could have grasped. There's no way he loved the king. There's no way he was thankful. If he turns around and goes, you, your little debt is monstrous. Pay me my money. There's no way he understood from his heart. That's what Jesus says. If you don't love your brother from your heart. servant didn't love the king for his mercy and it reminds me of matthew 6 if you don't you know jesus teaching the disciples how to pray you know forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others and right after that jesus says if actually if you don't forgive your brother heavenly father won't forgive you those aren't my words church okay greg i think it's i think it's safe for me to say i'm not preaching that this preaches that okay Amen? This is not my... Don't, don't pin this on me. <laughs> you can pin me on for saying it or repeating it. But those are big words. So we think of a kingdom culture of forgiveness. 
What does your culture look like? What what is your life lived? Are you living kingdom culture, lifestyle? Which for me it feels like kingdom culture is a whole lot of forgiveness, as modeled, as conceived by, as called to walk in, as demonstrated by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. It's glorious. It's wonderful. And if the Lord's touching your heart right now, and I, you know, conviction, not condemnation. You know, it's that grace. There's so much grace and mercy in Christ Jesus who's waiting for you to settle, waiting to settle accounts. You know, if God's touching your heart, and I pray that he is, if there's any unforgiveness, I think we're going to have a time afterwards where we can just, man, let's be a forgiving cultural church. But I want to end with a couple practical ways for you to learn how to become excellent forgivers. Or grow into excellent forgivers. Because forgiveness, I'm sorry to say this, but forgiveness isn't one of those things that you wish you were good at, but you never will be good at. Do you know what I mean? Let me illustrate this. Have you ever sat beside someone that wants to be a singer, and after months and months, they still can't sing? Like, they would love to be a good singer, but you're like, that's never going to happen for you. You should try something else, like painting. Or maybe someone's really good at sports. And they just practice and practice and practice. And you're like, hand-eye coordination is a necessity in this and it's never going to happen for you. You need to move on. That's, you can't claim that with forgiveness. Well, I'm just not good at forgiving. It's not something that comes natural to me or it's too hard. Absolutely not. You were born to be a forgiving people. And you're born into forgiving culture. We, I just came back from a consumed and part of that talent show, which I got to host, this, this girl comes up. And, and I was given this list of people who'd signed up for the talent uh, show. And there wasn't many. And there was lots of scratch outs because people obviously got insecure or scared. And I was trying to fish my way through this. And I see this name, Faith. And it says, Faith, sing. And I was like, okay, Faith, sing. And so she comes up. And I mean, we're talking timid, timid girl. She comes up. And I'm like, hi, Faith. She's like, hi. And she's holding a little ukulele. It's like, what are you going to do for us? I'm going to sing and play the ukulele. I'm like, okay. And literally, she was like this. Literally, she's holding an iPhone and her ukulele. She says, can you hold the mic for me? And I was like, yes, I can. This is going to be disastrous. And I was like, what's she doing with the iPhone? And she, I get a music stand for her, and she puts the iPhone on there, and the music is on the iPhone. And I was like, I mean, like you type in like, what, 11-point text or something? Like this is like two. And I was like, can you read can you read that? And she's like, yes. I was like, this is going to be horrible. It's like, whoa. I was like, anyways, so I'm her mic stand. It ended up being my favorite time ever being a mic stand, by the way. And I'm holding this, and she starts to sing and play her ukulele. And I'm telling you, she was born to sing. She sang like I've never seen a 13-year-old sing, sing. In, in, like being physically there and I didn't know how to act I was like <laughs> like the lights are shining I was like this is amazing like normally mic stands just stand there pretty I was like oh my word and when she finished the song I kid you not a hundred people in that building a hundred of her peers and youth stood up and screamed at the top of their lungs and I was like from America's Got Talent golden buzzer golden buzzer and I wish like confetti would have just rained down on the place 
because who she was wired to. I mean, you could tell this, that the Lord put this girl, like gave her pipes to sing. And the next morning I was like, is she on the worship team here at church? She was from Thunder Bay. She's like, I've never sang in front of anyone ever in my life before. It was her first time. It was one of those divine moments. You're like, you wish you could just do over and over again. I was like, does she sing? No, she doesn't sing. She needs to sing. Church, we need to forgive. It's the same thing. We're wired to forgive. And the more you walk in it, the more you, oh, I've never really done this before. And the, when you try it, it's going to resonate in your spirit. It may feel awful in your flesh, but it's going to resonate in your spirit as, bing, bing, golden buzzer. This is who you were called to be. Number one, practical way, resist thoughts of revenge. Okay, just some helpful hints to be a good forgiver. Sorry, I, and just, just to give credit where credit is due, this is from a John Piper post. On, um, these weren't, I didn't make up this list. I can text it or email it to you if you want it afterwards, but resist thoughts of revenge. Romans twelve nineteen. never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Let the Lord take care of it. Let the Lord. We have such a propensity for payback. We see it everywhere. But I just say, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. We often forget that first part, submit to God. Just submit it to God. We always say, resist the devil and he will flee. Oh, I'm resisting the devil. But you don't see that person submitting to God. That's a different sermon. (laughs) Number two, don't seek to do the mischief. 1 Thessalonians 5.15. That's a hard one. See that no one repays another for evil with evil. Number three, wish them well. Luke 6.28. Bless those who curse you. And a great way to pour salt on wounds, eh? Someone takes you off. Just wish them well. It also diffuses situations really good and really quick. Changes your heart. Look for ways to bless said it before again, but that'll go against your flesh. But it, man, man, wishing them well is going to, blessing those who curse you is going to resonate in your spirit like crazy. Number four, this is a big one. Grieve at their calamities. Proverbs twenty four seventeen. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Man, think about how the father feels about that sin against you. It hurts you, but it hurts the father so much more. What if we would just grieve at sin, even when it was done against us? What if we did that? It would cause us to go to number five way quicker. And number five is pray for them. If we would grieve at the calamities, it would turn us into prayer for them. Matthew five forty four. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We need to be lifting each other up. And how... What better way to kick the enemy square in the face than to actually bless and pray for the person that sinned against you? Right? And he's like, well, I'll get this guy to do that too. Maybe he'll just join his parade and gossip and do mis- Yeah, I'll pray for them. Number six, seek reconciliation with them. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Can I encourage you to look for ways to make things right with people? Be adventurous and courageous. Look for ways. And number seven, be always willing to come to their relief. Exodus 23, verse four. 
If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering away, you shall return it to him. Look for ways to help. Sometimes people sin against us as them looking, crying out for attention. It's not even about us. They're just looking for a way to get noticed. Looking for a way to see if you care or I don't know. Is there any way you can help? How is the Lord calling you to come to their aid? I experienced the definite release of walking in forgiveness with my father. Set me free. Changed who I was. I wonder even if it was when I went from being grumpy Greg to a different person. I I don't know. It set me free. But forgiving also sets the other person free. It also sets the other person free. Do you know that my mom, since that time, my mom is absolutely on fire for Jesus Christ. I can't have a conversation with her without her telling me something she learned in church or somehow she's blessing the music team with meals or her friends, she's leading an alpha group in her home. Like, this is not who my mom was. My dad has started going to a community group. He's started going to church. Things are changing. Forgiveness sets us free. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your example. I thank you for your call. I thank you for giving us your spirit after you forgave us and cleansed us from all unrighteousness, Lord Jesus, and paid such a marvelous debt for us, Lord. We could never repay. We could never comprehend. Father, would you help it? to turn our hearts back to you, to turn it into active lives lived in kingdom culture of forgiveness, blessing those who curse us, walking as you've walked. We love you, Lord. Would you be glorified in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.